It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Didn't the ground get bombed by in, during the war as well? Wasn't that something we enjoyed? Not enjoyed. That's not the right word. Welcome to Pint of Football, the drunk's worldiest football podcast, where much like Camilla Cabello, our fatal misunderstanding of the sport has caused us to publicly humiliate ourselves. <laughs> Half of his heart is in Bootle, Unana. It's Andy Baxter. Not from Bootle, but fine. Hello. There you are, come on. Some call him the Sixth Harmony, or the Brown Note. It's Daz Napton. There's definitely no harmony here. And I am featuring Spud Gun Kelly. <laughs> Do you know what? These could all be genuine Camilla Cabello references and song names and lyrics, and I just wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, I've had to, I had to do a lot of learning about Camilla Cabello over the last weekend. Yeah, it can be a bit, yeah, it can be a bit of a minefield. I can't remember what festival I was looking at the other day. But you know how everyone's called like Young Something now and it's spelt Y-U-N-G. Yeah, there's a few of them. And I came across one the other day and I can only assume he's a Yorkshire ripoff and he was called Young Gravy. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm not sure if it's a parody, but if it's not, then what the hell is he doing? Young Teabag. There definitely should be some kind of like comedic parody event called the Yorkshire Ripoff as well. By the way, I think that that went that almost went 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 unnoticed there. There definitely needs to be something. Yeah, that's the festival I'm going to be bringing to Flamborough Head very soon. Watch this space, Yorkshire Ripoff Festival with headline from Young Gravy, <laughs> MC Bovril on the mic. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. Anyway, let's crack on. We're back for in the mix. 
And it's really confusing because this might be the first time we're recording back-to-back episodes. And even now, even though we just discussed it like a minute ago, I can't actually remember which one we're doing first. (laughs) So (laughs) someone else might have to take over um, introducing what we're doing. Well, Daz, I believe we will be diving into uh, Wardy's book of dubiously uh, real football anecdotes. What is uh, what is Wardy's actual name? I've been calling him Wardy for so long, I, I can't even remember. Andrew. Andrew Ward. And his book is called uh, Football's Strangest Matches. Well, I haven't told you the subtitle yet. <laughs> I was saving that for a rainy day, but as, as you were calling the stories dubious, I feel like I must correct you with the subtitle. Oh, God. The full title is Football's Strangest Matches. Extraordinary but true stories. Again, I'm going to have to challenge his use of extraordinary with some of these, especially the ones that have just been, it was cold or it was warm. But are you not going to challenge the word true also featuring in there? Well, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care what anyone says. There's never been a penalty, penalty kick-taking elephant. Um, well, yeah, I, I, I haven't really found any evidence to suggest there was. But then again, he's obviously had his sources from somewhere. 1922, Manchester Chronicle. <laughs> Paragraph Citation. Nine. Yeah. Wardy Mythbusters. So Wardy, we are going to fucking find you. Well, let's hope he doesn't find us first, to be fair. I'm not scared of no, Invite him on. Invite him on. I think we could probably invite him on for the last episode and ask him to read the final story, but hope he doesn't look back at previous episodes first to find out it's just a massive diss against him. And oh, we'll yeah. sort of In- welcome him on like he's a guest of honour and then just continue to rip shreds into him after he tells his story. Jeremy Paxman, I'm like... Why are you such a liar, Andrew? Where did you learn to lie <laughs> like you do? Hmm? But first, we've got some backtracking to do because as we get to the relative intervals within the stories, we like to remind ourselves what's been and gone. And so far, we have decided that the best story or the closest that's come to peak football, should I say, was Wilfred Minter's story which was obviously the one where Dulwich played against, I want to say... Salisbury? Going to come to me. Salisbury? No. Basingstoke? That's so annoying. Walter Minty. Wilfred. (laughs) Walter. (laughs) Someone completely different. Wilfred Dill. Didn't they... didn't they follow us on, on Twitter as, as well? St. Albans? Saint, there you go, St. Albans. Nice, yeah. well remembered. How could we forget? We'll edit that to be a very smooth remembrance. <laughs> oh, yes. yeah. And yeah, basically that game, which had millions of goals, which Wilf scored all of the ones for St. Albans, it had 
a lack of light at the end of the match, which basically just meant everyone was kicking each other and no penalties could be given. It pretty much had it all in terms of oldie-timey football, is what we mutually agreed at the time. So now, very quickly before we start moving on to the 40s, World War II era, let's just have a recap and see if anything has beaten that. So in at the start of the 30s, we had King of Kings Park, which, to remind you, was where the guy scored eight on his debut in Scotland and then basically just moved on afterwards. Yeah, there was all of the top clubs sniffing around, wasn't there? Yeah, it definitely adds a bit of humour to it, a bit of intrigue because of all the goals. But as we've seen throughout this era, it was a very, very goal-heavy era. So, Didn't no. their ground get bombed by in, during the war as well, wasn't that? Something we enjoyed. Not enjoyed, that's not the right word. I would like to distance myself from the comments <laughs> of Mr. Napton and Mr. Baxter. Fine. Let's move on then. It wasn't. I think if we were to call it peak football, that probably would be a tad harsh. <laughs> Moving on then, we've got the fateful trip to the seaside, which was basically just where Chelsea couldn't deal with the seaside weather and got ill for some reason. And was that not had, Pilchard Gate? No, that was Stoke up in Manchester. Oh. This one was where it was so wet, it was just like a mud pit, and a guy apparently used his foot as a spade to score a goal. Mm. I'm not sure what to make of that. Sounds like something you might see in like a Earthworm Jim cartoon. I think the best bit, which is was quite a humorous line, was where at the end... <laughs> they all went off the pitch and enjoyed a hot bath and a stimulant together. Ah, yeah. Love that. <laughs> when you think about it, groundspeople are like the biggest innovation in football history because yeah. it was all just complete chaos before them. You could have a really bad team who would just have the worst pitch and be used to playing on it. And that in itself was probably as good as being decent at kicking the ball. We need to get a grounds person on because some, I mean, obviously some of the lower league grounds that we look at isn't a problem, but some of these big like Premier League or similar ones, they must be shady most of the day. So how do they get the grass and stuff to grow so nicely and evenly and the conditions be right? So indoors almost, isn't it? It's very clever. It's not particularly funny, but it's clever. Tiny sons that they rent from boffins. Maybe, yeah. Of course, they weren't invented till 1973. So before that, that's why it was chaos. And only the kind of big five can afford them. If you're Burnley, you just have to like get a couple of uh, fan heaters and hope for the best. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on, then we had the Richardson Rocket, which was the one where Wardy went into a mysterious West Brom fan character and turned up at the ground late. And there was all sorts of speech added into the story as though he had this verbatim as quotes and he'd just missed a load of goals in the first 10 minutes or whatever it was. That was good, but just weird. It was good in a weird way. Because they got lost, didn't they, or something? I'm trying to remember. 
Yeah, going down to West Ham from West Brom and just got lost. And the striker hadn't scored in months. And then I think he scored four in eight minutes or something stupid like that. <laughs> Not peak football, though. The next one was six in 21 minutes. I really enjoyed this one. Not necessarily the story, but again, the narrative of Wardy, where he added some Shakespearean-like rhymes into it, if you remember. That made me feel very weird and uncomfortable. I didn't like that. <laughs> the guy in the stands, just what was it? His name was Frank Keatley. He would shoot and strike the ball so sweetly. Yeah. That was it. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> As though there was a fan in the stands just saying that. Quite Shut up. Just trying to watch the game. <laughs> just a thump. Um, experimenting with the rules part two was the next one, which was the game with two referees. I actually thought that was a really intriguing idea where there was a ref in each half. And I also really enjoyed the fact that when it was around halfway, there was the fans were wondering which referee would be making a call if there was a foul. Was that the the what the um offside one as well where they came up with the current offside rule? Oh. Yeah, I think so, yeah. They, they definitely had something yeah, there was definitely some amendment that came from it. But overall, yeah, it was an intriguing story, but it wasn't peak football. Next up, we had my favourite one from the era, which was the avalanche at Aston. The thing I loved about this one was Ted yeah. Drake, the Arsenal forward, sending a letter to his manager whilst he was about to undergo bollock surgery. Yeah, high on hallucinogenic. That's what we decided, he? yeah. Yeah. If you're ever going to be a striker in need of goals, you always are going to turn to your manager for support and advice, you'd hope. But is when they're about to go in for surgery, bollock or not, is it the right time to do that? You've, you've got to admire Ted for sort of thinking, despite everything that was going on, I'll still go for it. I'll still, uh, I'll still write this letter. And I suppose that's that striker's player, isn't it? They've got that sort of single-mindedness. And as we found out, it did work because he went on to score seven goals that game, which is still a top flight record. So who are we to judge their methods? The prize. There was nothing wrong with me, Bollock, at all. (laughs) It was all to inspire you. (laughs) Got it chopped off just to prove. I've got it in this jar. (laughs) I'm giving it to the missus for our anniversary. Then moving on to the last three, which weren't great, especially this next one for you guys as Bristol Rovers fans. We had the that was funny. The reserve defender who scored ten goals against Bristol Rovers on his debut. Good. Again, it just sounds unbelievable, doesn't it? But I think you did actually no. look look it up <laughs> and well no, yeah. For you guys, yeah. Watching <laughs> Rovers lose um five nil at home to Charlton was one of the funniest nights of my life. I really enjoyed it. We then had last uh, episode stories, which were the invention of walking football in 1937 between Derby and Crew Railway. It was nil-nil and full of panto puns about walking football. How do you reckon that like 4,000 people showed up? It's definitely one of the funniest stories, but only because of the way it's been written. I imagine if you were there watching a nil-nil walking football match, it certainly wouldn't quantify as peak football. I wonder if the fact that it was nil-nil would be an interesting point, because I'm sure he said the previous 
yeah, it was 2-0 to either, either of the sides. So mm. and why he chose the nil-nil to be the extraordinary story, well, I guess that's Wardy in a nutshell, isn't it? Yeah, he also referred to the referee as corrupt in the first paragraph in brackets, but then there was no mention of any corruption in the game. Never brought it up again. Bizarre. <laughs> he's made his enemies and he's sticking to them. Yeah, I'll say no more. <laughs> Just, he knows what he's done. Yeah. <laughs> and then finally, last but not least, in fact, it probably was least, a matter of class, which was where the northern teenage unemployed coal miners went down to that posh school and had apparently the best three days of their lives. That wasn't, wasn't bad. It was a bit on the patronising side. But it did prompt you to tell us about an underground maze you'd been in. So that was good. That was something that came out of it. Yeah, that was good. Enjoyed that bit. Oh, I don't really remember. I can tell you, I can tell you ex- exactly when I went on one of them. Um, and I'm a couple of years older than you because I, one of the days we were there was the day. Wait, 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 wait. Did you say a couple? <laughs> Maybe more than a couple. I the was there the, the day. Podcast. <laughs> the day England played Spain in Euro '96. Euro '64. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Franco Spain. They let us all um, uh, sneak into the, the the sort of supposed adults only bit and, and watch the penalties, and that's why I remember it. So I could probably find out the exact date that was if anyone cared. Which they don't. I, I don't. There you go. Pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, good anecdote. And with that, we've gone through the thirties in an absolute flashbang. Do any of them top Wilfred Minter and his goal scoring feat? Hmm. I mean, the goal record was broken, but obviously not by a top tier one in a game against Bristol Rovers. So I suppose you can't call. We we probably wouldn't vote that peak football. Yeah, I don't remember being like actually enthralled by any of the stories since Minty. So. I think so, I'm still I'm still for Minty. It still rains. Yeah, yeah. It's crack it, on. It rains supreme. And then final question before we move on then. Do you think then, bearing in mind we've just gone through another decade and it hasn't been topped, do you think Minter will if inevitably be labelled as peak football or do you think we've got more to come? Well, we've still got like three quarters of a book, haven't we, unfortunately? <laughs> <laughs> but that's the point. Do you think there'll be anything better? I hope so. Stay tuned, listeners. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's go on then. We're we're moving on. We're going to 1941. So we've missed three years. And this is what we were discussing just before you joined, Tom. You might know off the top of your head. How long did World War II go on for? Like six years. Because weirdly, there was no stories after 1938, which is presumably around when it started. I think it was, wasn't it, 39? And then... Randomly, there's a story now in 1941 and then nothing again for four years. So like in World War One, where everyone remembers the Christmas story, this story we're about to read is the World War Two big story. Yeah, I would. I'd kind of expect if this was going to be a story about weird football, for there to be some coverage of like, uh, you know, the because there was there was some professional football, well, not professional, there was some competitive football played during the war period like really women, really surely. and women yeah um you got uh bella ray from blythe spartans that i think we've probably already spoken about yeah. doing bits up there um so yeah it was still going on and i would have thought that there'd be some stories about that period in this book but i've been disappointed by it before you'd think that that would be a good period because of all the sort of unusual by their very definition things that had to happen for games to go on people who had sort of been evacuated to various places and you know playing on all kinds of weird and wonderful grounds and stuff and yeah that's probably an avenue to explore i think that one of the more interesting things was like uh but uh troutman probably not saying that right who was a luftwaffe pilot who ended up in England after the war and played like 500 games for Man City. It's pretty interesting. Wow. And yeah, obviously um, took a took a while for people to warm to him, to say the least. Mm. But um, yeah. Reminds me of when Carlos Tevez signed for Man City. Not quite on that <laughs> level. Not quite the same. <laughs> <laughs> this one is called Freakish and goalful. <laughs> is that your Tyler or is that um, Wardy's? That's that's a, a Wardy genuine freakish and goalful. I like goalful. It's a mm. cool word. <laughs> Full of goals. And we're going up to Liverpool. It's April and it's 1941. We start off with a quote from the Liverpool Daily Post. The most freakish, goalful, representative match of all time. Apparently, according to L-E-E, not Lee, just... Lee. Just someone called Lee. Lee! <laughs> yeah, that's the abbreviation of his uh, name, L-E-E, of the Liverpool Daily Post. And that's what he said. It was the most freakish, goalful, representative match of all time. I still don't really get what that means, but we're going to find out now. It will become one of the talked-of classics, even if, on this occasion, there was no rabid club partisanship to fire enthusiasms. 
I'm down, Lee. What the hell's all that now? I like rabid as a as a description for a fan base, though. Hmm. It's quite a good term, I guess, isn't it? That's on rabies. Good name for a football club. Again, I might change my club one to that. The game between the Football League and a British XI in aid of the Lord Mayor's Fund. Ugh, this sounds dreadful. This is not quite the interesting story we were hoping for during the war. And apparently, despite the fact Wardy is claiming it to be one of football's most extraordinary stories, he even puts in here, it hasn't been mentioned much since the day it happened in April 1941. <laughs> Freakishness was quite common during wartime games. Oh, here we go. It's picking back up. Freakishness. He's using some good words here, though. We've got goalful. We've got representative, possibly used in the wrong context. We've got freakishness. Rabid. Partisanship. Yeah. It's good. I think he definitely had his thesaurus out when he was writing this one. But no, freakishness was quite common during wartime games. Teams were often selected at the last minute because players' availability was in doubt. Oh yeah, makes sense. There are countless examples of double-figure scores being registered against... What the hell's this say? Variegated. Variegated? Uh, that's a new one on me. Anyway. Well, it's definitely different to the most of his stories again, isn't okay, it? Okay, sorry. This is one of the other <laughs> staff writers. If this doesn't fucking show Wardy as not as clever as he thinks he is, variegated, adjective, exhibiting different colours, especially as irregular patches or streaks. Yeah. He's just throwing that in, expecting no one to check it, hasn't he? (laughs) (laughs) We caught you out, Wardy. So anyway, these variegated teams contain something like... We won't shit in your bed, sorry. That's topical, isn't it? Why do you keep saying that today, Andy? <laughs> we were watching a video before about them summing up the, uh, the, the doing the closing statements, you see, so we can keep bringing it up. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, these two... Teams... until proven guilty. No. Yeah, that's right, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, was it Edison the lefty Lucy righty? Yeah. I can never remember. Variegated teams contained something like half a dozen assorted professionals, a couple of out of position reserves, a cocky local just out of the pub, a spectator who falsely claimed to have played for Aldershot, and a trainer playing his first game since Wembley was built. That's quite fun, I think, having all these weird and wonderful people knocking about. But the other thing that I just want to quickly question, because it is definitely a thing that did happen quite a lot in the olden times. What what ele- what makes you qualify for the Football League eleven, but not the British eleven, and vice versa? Surely at that point in 1941, it was all the same. Yeah, they, they would have all been league professionals, wouldn't they? Oh, unless, because it's British 11, maybe it was um, Northern Ireland, Ireland, Scotland and Wales versus England, maybe. Mm, maybe you've just got some players that just don't play well together and like you'd have them 
now doesn't make any sense either. The players were all stars. More than half were internationals. Nine had played in FA Cup finals and there wasn't a laggard amongst them. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go back to the dictionary for that one. Laggard. I'm sure that is like a lazy person. It probably translates as northerner yeah. in Wardy's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> the bloody laggard he was. Probably from crew. And then he's written here, apparently there were some, there were several decidedly strange incidents. Here we go. One of these was the injury of Alf Hobson, the Chester and ex-Liverpool goalkeeper, shortly before halftime. Playing for the Football League 11 and playing brilliantly, Hobson fell on his head and was carried <laughs> off with concussion. Oof. Ouch. Have you ever fallen directly on your head? Can't say I have. Yeah. I don't know about it, wouldn't no, you? I can't say I have. Especially from, from being stood on the ground. How the hell do you do that? Maybe he's jumped up for a corner and a, a attacker's gone into him and he's kind of like flipped on his head. What's the most serious head trauma you've ever suffered? I don't think I've really suffered any myself. However, my friend Will, who obviously you know, Tom, he mm. was once playing in goal for Flamborough. I think it was under 16s. And we were in our first ever semi-final in the County Cup. We were playing a team from Whitby called Fishburn Park. They were a horrible team to play against. And they were absolutely battering, her, battering us about 9-0. And then... Ah, battering fish. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. Get the puns in. I'm getting as bad as Wardy now. And he, yeah, he was in goal. Well, at the time, as a 16 or 15 year old, about six foot five, and about six foot five wide as well, runs out, and this this other this striker just literally slides in after he's got the ball, boots him straight in the eye, like right in the <laughs> right there in the eye. And um, the worst thing about it was. Usually after a football match, when we got back to Flamborough, we'd always get Chinese and I'd usually always get my mum to order it in advance. So it was like, you know, get back, quick bath, get all the cuts infested with bubble bath and all the rest of it, and then have a nice Chinese. And because Will had to go to hospital and we were quite far away from where we lived, we were basically for about three hours while he was in A&E just in like some random car park on a retail estate, just having a kickabout, just like pelting the ball against cars that had just been left there over the Sunday night. <laughs> and we were there for ages and ages and ages. And it was before the days where you really religiously carried a mobile phone. So just got home and there was just this cold Chinese and I was so upset. That's a bad time. Lose the final, about 15, semi-final, sorry, about 15-0. Goalkeeper gets kicked in the eye. Cold Chinese. That's uh, real Ken Loachian stuff. Yeah, yeah. So no, to answer your question, personally, no trauma, but secondhand, pretty bad. And you didn't get to enjoy your, your, your takeaway dinner, so that was sort of double yeah. bad. In some ways, the trauma of that was worse than Will's eye injury. Absolutely. Anyone else got anything to top that? 
I cut um, my head open on a shelf the other year, but that was all right. Well, not all right, it hurt, but it was, you know, no ill came of it, really. That's a dad injury. That's very good. Yeah, there's a bit of blood on my face. That's it. I, was, I had a bit of a lump. I was a bit annoyed. When I was a kid, I went on a scout camp in Switzerland, and um, one night we stayed in this, like, weird, like, up in the sort of mountains and stuff, they have these, like, houses... Uh, but their their way of keeping it warm is it doubles as like a a barn, so there's like a shit ton of cows underneath, and their sort of natural body heat means that you've got like a nice sort of warm upstairs portion of your house, and it stinks so high heaven. But there you go. So like we were all sleeping this we were all sleeping in this attic bit like thirty um eleven twelve year old boys, um and someone nicked my pillow. And I um I leapt up to give chase and um immediately twatted myself on one of the one of the uh, wooden beams and fell straight back down. I lost the power of speech for about two minutes. <laughs> I was very concussed. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> that sounds pretty bad. Now it also uh, ex- it also explains a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it just reminded me, actually. I went to the doctor's last week and to have a blood test. When I went in, and this is not the thing you want to hear when you're going in for a blood test, she pulls up, the nurse pulls up my record on the computer. She was like, how strange. That was the first thing she says and then just doesn't say anything else. I was like, <laughs> I was like, what? And she, I was like, you haven't even done the blood test yet. And she was yeah. like... She was like, no, this is really weird. And then she was like, just hover, like you could tell she was very frantic with her mouse. Said you she have was like, super AIDS. She was like, have you ever been to the doctors before? You've, she's like, <laughs> she's like you, you've got no medical history. She was like, did you never like break your arm as a kid or anything? And I was just like, no, I don't think so. Like, you know, when had all <laughs> the. Literally my first time in the doctors. I was like, well, I had the like the jabs wow. at school, but maybe they didn't put them through the books. I don't know. She actually said she was like, we've got newborn babies with a deeper medical history than you. I was like, I was like, well, there you go. But yeah, it was weird. Like it's my uh, diet, my incredible diet. Back to this. Anyway. More work, isn't it? The next person that gets mentioned here, Tom Galley, is a Wolves wing half. And he put on the goalkeeper's jersey, obviously, as he got concussion. And also played brilliantly, apparently. Billy Liddle of Liverpool joined the game as a substitute. So I'm guessing he was the replacement keeper. At halftime, the league led 3-2. But the second half brought 11 goals. And now this. I don't know if there's a different definition of this word. But he then goes on to say, in 1941, wags suggested that the cricket season had come a month early. Um, now, I thought wags was quite a um, modern term. Well, it doesn't mean the players' wives, does he? No does one he knows more about the cricket schedule than footballers' wives. <laughs> well, what is it then? What's a wag? I'm guessing it's someone's last name, but he's not provided context because he's Andrew Ward. No, it means like local sort of like tear away sort of not near the wells, but you know, sort of like uh ruffian lads just sort of being a bit jokey and things that are oh, oh, okay. 
Okay. I just I'm I'm listening to the word I'm listening to like his choice of words throughout this book, and all I'm like seeing is fucking Martin Prince from The Simpsons. Just he, just, he probably does say wags to describe just so a little dog students. Yeah, hook to the tail of Woody and the book he loves so dear. Anyway, there is only space here. So right, so now he's saying in his own book. Bearing in mind he leaves half a page empty at the end of the story. <laughs> he's saying there is only space here to give the order of scoring. There's literally nothing fucking stopping hack. him writing. <laughs> you fucking hack, Andrew. <laughs> Cannot be bothered. So here's just a list of names of scorers. And then it literally just says Stevenson, 1 0. Neuhwins, 1 1. Dorset, 2 1. Cullis, 2 2. Lawton, 3 2. Busby, 3 3. Lawton, 4 3. Riddle, 5 3. Fagan, 5 4. Fagan, 5 5. Henson, 6 5. Lawton, 7 5. Stevenson, I'm goal, 7 6. Dorset, 8 6. Stevenson, 8 7. And Hansen... Oh, God, stop. <laughs> and Hansen to make it 9 7 to the Football League. So it's just a high scoring game, then, basically. Again. Yeah. I'm going to wipe my ass with this book when we're done. <laughs> oh, no, they're quite rough, actually. You mm. wouldn't want to stick them in the old anus. <laughs> he started this story with, because it was hard to get consistent team selections, there were often very high-scoring games. Mm. And then he was like, here's a high-scoring game. Isn't that fucking unbelievable? And just to top it all off, we get another classic Wardy slur against the North, just because it's all we needed at this point. You almost instantly know that he's just made this up because it's the last sentence. He starts it by saying there was a rumour. Oh, and he, he even adds a quote as to what this person says. It's pure fiction, but I'm going to read it. And there is a rumour that a dour Lancastrian among the 15,000 crowd turned to his mate at the end of the game and said, E, lad, just think, it could easily have finished now. now. Shut up. <sighs> you stupid man. A rumour. It's, it's, uh... <laughs> Who's starting these rumours? <laughs> e, lad. <laughs> Also, there were 15,000 there. That's a good going for the League 11 against some other fools. There was 15,000 there. Apparently one was a dour Lancastrian. It is said that he wore a suit stitched entirely from beef and ale pies. <laughs> this cannot be confirmed. Ah, oh, Jesus Christ. I wonder if um, Wardy works for BuzzFeed now. Yeah. Just writing absolute shite. You Ten know, facts this... about football. Number three will shock you. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what this is like. It's like a precursor to all that. Was it peak football? No. That's rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's probably all we've got time for, apart from, of course, Baxter, have you got a joke? I do, but I also want to remind people that they can always get in touch with us. Ah, yeah, they well email pints, <laughs> pints to football 2015 at gmail.com. 
and you two are rubbish for forgetting again. And you can find us on Twitter at POF underscore reviews. Send nudes. No, don't. So don't, yeah, don't send <laughs> nudes or anything that's likely to get us in trouble if you read it out. But do get in touch because we want to hear what you think about Wardy's book. If you can uh, dox Andrew Ward for us somehow, we'd be interested in that. Uh, Favourite rumours about northern people. If you send those in, yeah. read them out. Is it? <laughs> If there's any dour Lancastrians listening, Ian, right, would you like a joke? Yeah. Go for it. I recently bought a Monopoly set online, and when it turned up, there was no instructions in the box. What are the chances? Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.